Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. to be here with all of you. I love Battersea so much. I mean, I might be biased, but this, this is the site that I go to, but I absolutely love it here. Okay, so this morning, we are going to be continuing in our series, Summer in the Psalms. So if the Bible isn't particularly familiar to you, or maybe you find it difficult to read, the Psalms are an amazing place to start. They really capture so much about human emotion. They talk about loss, love, betrayal, hurt, sort of everything that's, that's all-encompassing, and it makes it a really easy access point for us. Um, and I often find that when I don't know where to go, I can just kind of open up the middle of the Bible and find so much comfort and peace in the Psalms. So the book of Psalms, there's over 100 Psalms in this book. It's, it's organized in different categories. There's groupings of different authors within this book, And the psalm I'm going to look at today comes from this section called the Song of Ascents. So it's Psalm 120 to 134 are these songs that are categorized in such a way that they surround the message of redemption. And so the Songs of Ascent would be sung by Jews as they would pilgrimage to Jerusalem, or even quite literally as rabbis would walk the steps, as they would ascend the steps of the temple. And so the psalm I'm going to look at today is Psalm 126, Song of Redemption. And if you want to open your Bibles or your phone, you can, or look up on the screen. I'm going to be reading it from the Passion Translation. And Psalm 126 says, It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. All the nations saw it and joined in, saying, The Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles, and we are overjoyed. Now, Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. Those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out carrying their seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and a harvest overflowing. I love the hopefulness of this psalm, but I think that this psalm deserves more context because it is about joy and redemption, but it also surrounds a specific story in the Old Testament in this, in this Israelite history. So this psalm is written after a specific period in time in Jewish history where the Israelites have been exiled to Babylon. If you've listened to any sort of Bible stories, you know that these people have had a really rough go. So they were held in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years until they were finally freed from their enslavement, only to then wander in the desert for a generation until they came to the Promised Land. From there, you sort of have this golden age. You have David as king and his son Solomon. 
And these two have this vision, this dream, to build a temple that will be the dwelling place of the Most High God. This is sort of this crowning jewel, this achievement, this temple that's going to be built to honor the Lord where these people can worship him. There's entire chapters of the Bible that are devoted to, to the, um, the construction of the temple down to the kind of wood that's used, to the dye used to make the fabric. Um, it's all really specific because they were intentional about it. It was a massive piece of their heart. So fast forward 500 years from this temple being built, and the Israelites have seen more hardship. They've begun this steady decline from this golden age, and they've divided themselves into multiple kingdoms, and they've forgotten the ways of their God. And they've started to worship idols just like they did before. They haven't kept the way of their fathers. They haven't kept the ways of the Lord. Their hearts have, have turned away from him. So it's at this moment that, that in 2 Chronicles, um, history is recorded saying, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them, them being the Israelites, through his messengers, again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place, the temple. But the people, they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temples and the treasure of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem they burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value. He carried into, into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So this is the scene that sets the story for this redemption in Psalm 126. These people have had everything they know and love ripped away from them. Psalm 126 actually has a predecessor later in the Psalms, in Psalm 137, and that psalm is um, translated as the song of our captivity. And it's a song of mourning that captures this feeling that the Israelites have about this destruction, this despair, them being sent into exile. They talk about never being able to sing again. They talk about never being able to make music, that they could never pick up an instrument again because they're in such despair over being exiled from Jerusalem. And in the psalm, they vow to never forget Jerusalem. And it's one of the few psalms that doesn't end in a happy way. So many psalms have, sort of have this message of heartache, but it wraps back around to the goodness of, of God. But in Psalm 137, at this point of exile, it doesn't, it just, it ends sort of in hopelessness. So I know this probably feels a bit depressing. But if you love a good story, the exile spans a lot of the Old Testament. So you have Chronicles, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezra, Nehemiah. It's a massive part of this story and of our story. So why, why look at all this history, this long backstory to Psalm 126? Well, I think that with joy and redemption, which is so beautiful and so hopeful, there's also this cycle of sadness, the cycle of joy and sadness that we have, 
that maybe we don't talk about enough, but is always the predecessor to redemption. And as people that know a loving God, we're redeemed, loved, cherished, but it doesn't mean that life won't be incredibly painful or that we won't have periods of time where we feel like we're, we're stuck in a pit or periods of time where we feel like we just need to weep. The Israelites know sadness, disappointment, deprivation. Their story is fraught with it. And yet here in Psalm 126, we see their joy and their redemption as they're released from captivity decades after being exiled. So what can we learn from this psalm? I have three things I want to pull out of this today for us, for in this cycle of of sadness, of joy and redemption. And the first one is rejoice and remember what the Lord has done. So this first part in in verses one to three recognizes their all out jubilation and glee for what God has done. They say it was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion, that's Jerusalem, brought us back home. We laughed and laughed and overflowed with gladness. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. They were astonished. They couldn't help but laugh. And without words, they had to sing. It's such a contrast to Psalm 137 when they said, we'll never be able to sing again. We'll never be even able to make music. So when we're in this cycle, and it feels like you can never sing again, you can never have hope again, it's remembering what the Lord has done in the past. When I'm in this space, sometimes it's even hard to remember what he's done for me. It's hard to remember the promises, the faithfulness, the ways that he's come through. And I can try and sit down and list them out, and, but sometimes it just doesn't come. And in those instances, it's, it's, you can open up the word. I find that Hebrews is amazing for this. If you don't know where to go and you can't pull yourself up out of this pit, Hebrews 11 talks about the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God through the generations and through the ages, just over thousands and thousands of years. So this moment of rejoicing and remembering is powerful because it lays the foundation for a better future for these people and it allows us to turn our hearts to the Lord and offer our praise as a form of sacrifice for all that he's done. Psalm 126 is actually still said on a weekly basis um, in the Jewish Sabbath. So on the Friday night meal, it's it's recited every week. Um, So this is something that is regularly practiced still in this tradition, that you're giving thanks and praise to God for everything that he's done for you. Okay, the second thing in this I think we can take from these people and this redemption is to cry out and be renewed. At this point in the story, all historical accounts note that not all of the Israelites were released at the same time, which means half of these people are going home and the other half are still in captivity. So after rejoicing at the beginning of this song, they ask the Lord, they yell out and say, Lord, do it again. Restore us to our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over till our hearts, dry hearts, are drenched again. So here we see their faith, asking for the Lord to do a new thing in them, bringing refreshment, bringing restoration to their hearts. What does that refreshing even look like? In the New Testament, Jesus is constantly shaking up 
old paradigms, the mindsets of, that people are really stuck in. And in Mark, he's, he begins to tell this story, and he says, who would mend worn-out clothing with new fabric? When the new cloth shrinks, it will rip, making the tear worse than before. And who would pour fresh new wine into an old wineskin? Eventually, the wine will ferment and make the wineskin burst, losing everything. The wine will be spilled and the wineskin ruined. Instead, new wine is always poured into new wineskins. I always found this passage a bit confusing, to be honest, when I would read through it. I'd think, oh, he's talking about clothes, and then he's talking about wine. I don't know what a wineskin is. We use bottles. They don't really expand. If you drop them, they break. But in reading this, Jesus is here is talking about a flexibility. We can't take the new things that he's doing in with our old rigid habits. The story of the new wineskin, what happens when, um, when wine begins to ferment, as it says, it expands. And a wineskin was usually made out of some sort of leather. And so an old wineskin would be dry, and then something would expand inside of it, it would do exactly as I said, it would crack, it would break, and you'd, you'd lose everything new that you were trying to carry. All That all would be lost. So the amazing thing about this story of exile and redemption for Judah is that scholars believe that this is the period of time where Judaism as a religion was actually established. It became a practice because these people weren't just tied to a geographical location anymore. They weren't just in in Israel, in Jerusalem, they had been exiled out into Babylon. And the other thing that this period does for them is it gives them a new name. When they come out of this period of time, they're no longer known as Israelites, but as Jews. They have this new name that we now know them by, and this period of exile birthed in them something new. They turned away from their, the practice of idolatry, of worshiping other gods besides the one true God. So this shift in them created them something new. It gave them a new name, and it paved the way for something new, for Jesus to come and to be the ultimate redeemer in their story. So we see that they cry out and that they truly are renewed in this sense, and God gives them a new name. But we recognize that it didn't come without the pain. It didn't come before this great cycle of sadness and then joy and redemption. It came from a people crying out for refreshment, for God to restore them to a former glory, for God to turn their hearts back to him, turn their hearts to trust him, turn their hearts to know that his promise is true, that it's faithful, for them to say, do it again, Lord, do it again, restore us and do a new thing in us. So this third and final section of the psalm, it's about sowing and harvesting. The Bible loves to use language about agriculture because it's something people then would have understood. And for this, I think it's so important for us to pay attention to what we're planting. So in this section, it says, those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts. They may weep as they go out carrying their seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting, with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and a harvest overflowing. For Israel, the tears they sowed and the cry of their heart wasn't lost or forgotten. Not only did God hear them, 
but the nation saw exactly what God did for them. And this is why it's so important for us to pay attention to what we're planting, what we're sowing into. In Galatians, there's a whole passage that talks about, about planting, about reaping and sowing. But the important thing, it says, the harvest you reap reveals the seed that you've planted. If you plant corrupt seeds, you're going to experience a corrupt harvest. If you plant good seeds of faith that are spirit-filled, you'll reap the beautiful things that grow from everlasting life. So in this season of doubt, of pain, of exile, of loss, we still get to choose to remember, to trust him, for the season of harvest will come. Our exile will end, just as it did for them. I think the psalm also recognizes something that's so pivotal. These people could not do this on their own strength. It's so clear that these people, they've held on to this worship of God, and it's by the strength of the Lord that they were, that they were freed. Just earlier in the psalm, it says, all the nations saw it and joined in saying, the Lord has done great miracles for them. In this story, the Israelites didn't just stop their worship. People would have known who they were. In Babylon, they would have known the story. They would have known these people had been taken from their home and placed into exile here in this, in this foreign land. The book of Daniel actually is all about this story. Daniel is a young man that was saved from the destruction of Jerusalem. He was taken to Babylon, and he was put into the king's service in Babylon. And he refused to bow to the culture around him. He refused to stop worshiping his God while he was in exile. He sowed in seeds of the Spirit. He knew what redemption looked like and that it would come. And in this, the pagan kings of Babylon praise God. You see instances where Daniel refuses to bow down to the culture around him. And the kings in that area praise God for what they see God doing for his people, for saving them. There's one instance where, where Daniel refuses to bow down and they throw him into a pit with lions. He's literally in the pit and he still turns his gaze up to the Lord and he saves him. And he, he comes out unscathed and the king bows down and worships God in that place because of, not of Daniel's strength, but because of the Lord's. So we don't sow for our own benefit. It's not just for us that we sow in these tears. It's also for those around us. In this cycle of joy and sadness, we sow in these tears, but we bring in abundant harvest in this. So this cycle is so familiar to me, and I, I don't know if we're quite as good about it as talking about it in the church maybe as we could be, but it's such a normal thing of life to feel deep sadness, to feel grief, to feel like you're stuck in a pit to have promises broken, to have dreams not realized, or maybe they feel forgotten. As a kid, I had two really big plans for my life that I really wanted. I wanted to live abroad, and I really wanted to get my PhD. I don't know what eight-year-old <laughs> tells people they want to get their PhD, but I did when all my classmates were writing about their futures, about wanting to have families and whatever else I wanted to get my PhD. <laughs> So I had these two, these two big things on my heart that I really carried with me all throughout my, 
my teenage years. And in 2010, the university I was at um, has a campus in London. So I applied, I got in, and I was absolutely ecstatic. Finally, finally, I was going to get to move. I was going to get to go somewhere new. And it didn't feel right. I, I, was, pretty, I was pretty upset. It didn't feel right. I didn't feel like it was the right time to go. I, had, I didn't have peace about it, and so I turned my spot down. And it's a choice I really, really struggled with. Honestly, I, for years, wondered if I had made the right decision, um, thinking that nothing else would ever come up in this way ever again, that I had missed my opportunity, that I had missed my chance. Soon after, I ended up moving, leaving university, and, and moving up to, to Reading. And this is when I, I kind of feel like my season of exile started for me. I had finished undergrad, and I was really desperate to start studying to, for my entrance exams to get into postgrad in the States. And one night I came home from, from worship and prayer with some of the students I was working with, and I felt like the Lord said, I need you to give up that dream as a sacrifice. I need you to hand that over to me, this thing that I had just worked towards for years and years. And so I laid on my floor, and I wept bitterly. I can tell you what sowing of seed, sowing in tears feels like, because I've done it, laying face down in my ugly brown carpet in the first place Josiah and I lived in together when we, when we lived in Reading. And handing that over, it was, it was difficult. I felt like I was in a pit. Moving forward from there, I just sort of started that decline, similar to, yeah, similar to that feeling that Israel talks about. I became visionless. I became depressed. I didn't know what was ahead for me. I didn't really feel like I had much of a future. And I didn't really trust much of anything that God was doing or saying, because I didn't really feel like there were good plans there. And by 2014, that had, kind of, that had kind of peaked, and I really just felt like I was existing in a pit. And one night at the dinner table, I was sitting, I was sitting and I just folded myself in half, and I, I pressed my palms into my eyes. Um, and Josiah said, where are you? And I just said, I'm in a pit. Everything is dark. Absolutely everything is dark around me. And then I waited and I felt the Lord nudge me. And my eyes began to adjust. Mentally, I, I could see this picture start forming that I wasn't in a pit. And I felt the Lord say, you're in a wine cellar. I just thought, wow, that's so weird. <laughs> and then he said, you need new wineskins because I'm going to give you new dreams. And I'm going to do something new in you. And that started this, this cycle for me of knowing that I wasn't in a pit, that the Lord was going to be redeeming this season, this period where I felt like I was in exile, like, like I didn't have hope or future for the things that had been in my heart for so long. So fast forward a few, laters, a few years later, and I had the insight to get some coaching, get some help to help create vision for my life to move this forward, and I finally felt released to start applying to grad school. In the same time, Josiah and I had been traveling, and I decided, why not apply in London? 
So I was applying all over the US and, and in London as well. And in the midst of all that, during the winter, about eight months before we moved, I was at this conference and I was in worship. I had my eyes closed and I felt the Lord take me back into the wine cellar. And this time I could see really clearly. I could see the shelves and shelves. And I walked up to one of the shelves and pulled the bottle off and the label said, London, 2010. It had been there all that time, that promise, that thing I had wanted, the place I had wanted to be, the dreams, the promises I had, I had wept and sown into. He hadn't forgotten them. They were still there all along, sitting in that cellar for the right time, for the right purpose. And the thing about, about exile, about this feeling of, of sadness, of being in this pit, God doesn't want you to be there. He didn't put you there but it's in this place that we get to be refined. For Israel, when they're exiled into Babylon, there's a lot of things that happen. We talked about them getting a new name. They actually come out a different people. But the thing that also happened is that their land was able to rest. So when they finally went back to Jerusalem after 70 years, when they were there to plant and rebuild, they could literally, literally harvest again. A land that was dead and that wouldn't produce, now was able to produce again. They could feed themselves. It had been restored, it had been renewed. In the same thing, these dreams that I had that, that didn't quite line up, the things that I had really wanted, they weren't in the right time, they weren't in the right season. And the Lord used that, that time to refine me. And so now I can stay here after that conference and, and seeing, seeing that wine cellar again eight months later, we sold our house in four days, we got on a plane with two suitcases each, and we moved into this community, a community that is, is thriving, that is redemptive, that has brought so much hope and restoration into my life. But it didn't come without so much sadness, without weeping and sowing into the things that I knew that God had for me. So if Josiah wants to come back up the whole band. I love this quote from Spurgeon. One, it, you just really know that he's English reading this. You know that he, because of the foggy atmosphere. But this is so true, and this is what we learn from this psalm. Take that for certain. Lay it down as a scripture proverb. When God sends us a wet time and we have to sow in the moist, foggy atmosphere, never mind, there are brighter days yet to come. We shall reap amid the sunbeams and carry home our sheaves with joy. That is so the heart of God. He does not want to leave you in the pit. He does not want to leave you in the darkness. The harvest will absolutely come. It will come. He promises it. And his promises are good and true and faithful. So where are you in this cycle? Are you rejoicing for the promise that the Lord has come through on? Are you in the pit? Do you just see darkness around you? Because if you are, it's okay. Everyone is there at some point, and there's no shame there. Do you need a promise? 
Do you need to know the promise of the Lord? Maybe you don't even know the Lord. You want to meet this God that offers hopeful redemption and joy and brighter days yet to come. So I just want to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that even thousands of years ago, you began to teach us about what this cycle of redemption looks like. That all throughout time, people have been in this place where they feel like they're in the pit, where we experience despair, isolation, anxiety, worry, everything, but that you have always promised to pull us out. You have always promised that brighter days are yet to come. And so we just ask that you would come. You would come meet each of us here exactly where we're at, in the brightness, in the darkness, and that you would just be with us. Father, I just ask that you'd begin to breathe new hope and new promise in people here today. And for those that need the space to grieve and to recognize where they are, that you'd allow that to happen too. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the joy that you bring. We thank you for the comfort that you bring. And we bless you in Jesus' name. If you would like prayer, if any of this resonated with you, if you feel like you need a promise, you need redemption, that you're in a spot where you just say, I need a brighter day. We'd love to pray for you. There's nothing special about coming up here, but it lets us know that you'd like to receive and that you would like prayer. Yeah, and if not, just worship. Just worship and receive. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.